When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to an installment of History Hacks African American History Week. We're thrilled today to welcome Annette Gordon-Reed, who is an American historian and law professor. Uh, she is currently at Harvard University, but mostly she is known for her brilliant work in challenging scholarship on Thomas Jefferson regarding his relationship with his slave, Sally Hemings, and her children. Uh, she was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for History and the National Book Award and 15 other prizes in 2009 for her book, The Hemings's the Hemings is of Monticello. Annette, hello and welcome. Hello, good to be here. Thank you so much for coming and joining us. Just for our listeners, two-thirds of them aren't American. So very mm-hmm. briefly, we all know we know that Thomas Jefferson is a colossal figure in American history um, and a former president, uh, but yes. where does he fit in and why is he so important? Well, he's important because he wrote the American Declaration of Independence, which included words, universal language to the effect that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed with, by their creator with inalienable rights among these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And those words have moved from the context of the separation from Great Britain to be a statement of principle. And mm-hmm. it is supposed to be is considered to be the American ideal, not the American reality, but the ideal, the thing mm-hmm. we should be striving for. So in putting those words out there, he has become a focus of lots of attention. He's always been a focus of lots of attention. Monticello is his home, isn't it? Where is it? Monticello is just outside of Charlottesville, Virginia. And it's on a little mountain, as the name (laughs) implies. And it's uh, a place that he sort of made famous by living there, but also founding the University of Virginia, which is in Charlottesville proper. So if we start with Elizabeth Hemings, because she's the first, she's the oldest member of the family to come to Mm -hmm. Monticello, but how did she come to be there? Well, Elizabeth Hemings was an enslaved woman who uh, was owned by a man named John Wales. John Wales's daughter, Martha, married Thomas Jefferson. Mm -hmm. And when John Wales died, the Hemings, Elizabeth Hemings and her children became the property of Thomas and Martha. Uh, The interesting twist on this is that John Wales and Elizabeth Hemings had six children together. So Martha brings essentially her half-siblings, her mixed-race half-siblings, enslaved half-siblings, to live uh, with her at Monticello with Thomas Jefferson. And that's how their saga at Monticello begins um, around 1772. And 1773. And so to that end, they're never treated like 
any other slave family, are they? They're cast apart, if you like, because of the relations. Because of the connection to Martha, yes, they are treated differently than other enslaved people at Monticello. They're still enslaved, but they, the, the men in the family uh, go off and work on their own and they keep their own money. Lots of times Jefferson doesn't know where they are. The women do things that women of the time would be doing, uh, you know, cooking, domestic things, not going out into the fields. So they were kept separate. They were, they were treated differently than other people. Does that make, I'm just interested, does that make a difference when it comes to a desire for freedom? Does that mean that they don't relish oh, no, the no. thought? It doesn't, no, no, it doesn't make a difference at all. Not at mm-hmm. all. I mean, Robert Hemings, Jefferson, she is, Robert Hemings is freed in the 1790s. He's the eldest of the children, of the Wales Hemings children. And James Hemings is freed. None of the women are formally freed, uh, but they desired freedom. Mm-hmm. And that is... You know, that was always a part of it, of, of the, the sort of hope that would happen. And Sally Hemings's children, by an agreement with, between their parents, were freed when they were 21. So freedom was always the goal, mm-hmm. an important thing. So if I'm not mistaken, Jefferson advocated, um, he was against slavery, but he advocated sending freed slaves to Africa. Is that right? And one of the things he feared or it wrote, he thought would be an issue was interracial mixture I think he termed it but the evidence Mm -hmm. suggests doesn't it that a sexual relationship began between Sally Hemings and Jefferson after 1787 can you tell us what we can say about it using historical evidence well the consensus at Monticello and the consensus that I arrived at through my research and other historians most historians accept now Mm -hmm. is that when Jefferson was in Paris with Sally Hemings they began a relationship, a liaison, whatever you want to call it, and that resulted in, over the span of 20, uh, 38 years, um, seven children, four of whom who lived to adulthood. <laughs> now, this is the complicated situation, because you remember what I said before about Martha and her half-siblings. Yeah. This means that Sally Hemings and Jefferson's wife were half-sisters. Mm-hmm. And according to the Hemings family, women... On her deathbed, Martha made or asked Thomas not to remarry because she did not want um, stepmothers for her children. And he was 39 at the time, and he never married again. He died at 83, and he never married again. So this is the complicated situation (laughs) that sometimes happened in slavery, and it makes... Well, what makes the whole connection between these people fascinating? How do you hold, how do you have your, your siblings, your blood siblings in slavery, even if you're treating them differently? You know, what is that all about? How do they talk to one another? What was, what was the nature of their relationship? So that's, that's a part that people always ask me about. And we'll never really know that, but it's mm-hmm. enough to see that this is the sort of complications that were involved with this. Yes, it, they're really not unique, are they, in this uh, oh, no. scenario either? They're not. They're not at all. Um, this kind of, um, c- these kinds of connections, uh, even rape. I mean, things that are, you know, not even having seven kids with somebody, but just sort of having a kid or, or casual connections um, and, and rape were part, were endemic to slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, during that time period. So it's not just him. It's just that it's interesting with him because, or people focus on it because he was a president. 
right? Yeah. He was, he's an important figure, but this was not uncommon. So she's 14 when they go to Paris um, and this is mm-hmm. uh, as he's an, a minister there, isn't he? So it's like a relocation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. By the time she's 16 and it's time to return, she's pregnant. She gives him an ultimatum, doesn't she? Yes. Well, she comes over, Jefferson goes over in 1784 and she comes over in 1787 with his youngest daughter. She's supposed to be the companion to the younger daughter. Mm-hmm. And when they get ready to go back in 1789, she doesn't want to go back because she had the chance. She and her brother, she was there with her older brother. This was not just she and here. Uh, she was with her older brother who's 24 at the time. They could have taken their freedom in France. Everybody who petitioned for freedom in France in the 18th century, the petition was granted. And she doesn't want to go back because she thinks that, well, she will be re-enslaved. And if she has children, any children she has in Virginia would be enslaved. And Jefferson convinces her to come home with him because he says she will have a nice life at Monticello and that, and most importantly, any children they have would be freed when they were adults. They would stay with, you know, stay with her during their childhood. And then when they got to be 21, they could go. And uh, that, on that promise, she decided to come back uh, with him. And she did, and lived at Monticello until Jefferson's death, then leaves and moves into Charlottesville uh, after that and stays with her sons until her death in 1835. I think you mentioned it before about uh, there's nothing of their relationship from them, is there, that survives, that would tell you the nature of it? Nothing that tells you the nature of it. People Mm. talk about them, um... There, he is connected to the children. All of the children are named for his best friends and favored mm-hmm. relatives. They are treated differently than other enslaved children. He's not treating them like, you know, like they're legal, like legitimate kids, obviously. Yeah. Um, as between the two of them, there's nothing. I mean, the, the story from her side of the family is that, you know, that, I'm quoting this person, it's one of their grandchildren. Uh, Mr. Jefferson loved her dearly, but they don't talk about what she felt about him. Yeah. You know, it's all about him, how he's, what he thought about her. I think I suppose the big um, question is, and it, will, it means it's open to constant conjecture, is constant conjecture right, because you emotional can see her. blackmail or mm-hmm. quid pro quo, even if she was like, if it was like, well, I know I'll have a nicer life and my children would be free. And, or was mm-hmm. it love? Um, it's mm-hmm. a big age gap again, which I think would make people leap towards exploitation, wouldn't it? That 30 oh, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, it's the kind of, I mean, women made what was a woman's life in the 18th century, but your children and hoping that the person you were attached to, the man you were attached to was going to treat you okay and things would work out. Um, Yeah. And wanting to come back to America to be with your family, you know, it's, it's difficult. That was a dilemma that enslaved people, even in the United States faced. Do you run off and pursue freedom on your own or do you stay with your mother and your siblings and your sisters and, and so forth? So it was, I mean, there are lots of reasons that she would come back with him and lots of reasons she would think, well, 
you know, he's done, he's going to do what he says he's going to do. She believed that's a tough thing to <laughs> yeah. think of someone to trust. He did. He ultimately did, but that was a huge risk um, on her part. But he, you've already mentioned, so he, the children um, do get special treatment. They're given names that would show that uh, you don't name after family members and your best friends if you don't hold these children in high regard, do you? Um, and he well, does keep his pledge about their freedom, doesn't he? He has his own sense of responsibility about them. I mean, he, he puts them on the men, the boys, under the tutelage of his best artisan, who was another of Sally Hemings's brothers, John Hemings. And Jefferson worked, I mean, he was sort of a woodworker himself. So he, he sort of arranged their lives so that he would be in their lives mm-hmm. in a way. But there are no letters. There's nothing, the kinds of things that historians look for. To Madison Hemings, the, one of the sons says that he was, kind to everybody but he wasn't like a an affectionate father you know like bouncing him on your knee or anything like that mm-hmm. uh, but he was uniformly kind is what um um madison hemming says about him but not the kind of paternal thing that you that you know you you expect from from a father but this is not a this is a weird <laughs> This is one of those things where you want a diary to turn up, don't you? Exactly. Hidden, in a, hidden in a chimney somewhere. Yeah, and... yeah it, it never will. It never yeah. will. But you kind of figure this kind of thing happened in England too, between servant girls and uh, met, you know, the Lord of the Manor My or whatever. My great-grandmother, and... she just get routinely into the workhouse to drop another kid and she wasn't mm-hmm. married and then another and another so yeah we don't know who the fathers were but she was a domestic servant so i don't know go figure but we'll never know i mean like she's mm-hmm. probably illiterate that's not going to come out in mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. no chimney diary for me either well, but yeah or, or dna perhaps but yeah. um uh that's you know and that's what that got involved here mm. um no we don't we don't know the nature of these things and and we don't know that people have the kinds of expectations that we do i mean this notion of of but love in the way that we think about it uh, is not, I mean, even if you look at marriages where people, I mean, Jefferson comes back from Paris and his next door neighbor and kinsman is 50, marries a 17 year old girl who did not want to marry him, mm. but her parents made her marry him. She would have been in love with someone else and they were trying to get her away from him. So they but- marry her to this 50 year old. One of my things at the moment is writing about royal marriage and it's just like you have to you have to suspend your understanding of what love and marriage is and know that mm-hmm. this was a business arrangement um, and mm-hmm. that we were more business partners and it was great if you got along than mm-hmm. being like open to fall in love with whoever you wanted. And it's like you said, it's her choices in life um, as a woman are either have children with Thomas Jefferson uh, and see them treated well the way they were um, and eventually freed or have children with uh, what her other options, another slave, if she wants mm-hmm. a family. Um, and then, of course, it would be very different for her children, won't it? Yes. No, I mean, her kids have, and I talk about this in the book, they have an almost, they have an over 40-year head start on emancipation. Mm. And Eston Hemings, you know, we we're looking at, a, a doing some research. He's at, you know, a couple of years after Jefferson dies, he's at an estate sale somewhere buying silver, uh, you know, silverware. Yeah. Um, and other people are, I mean, you know, it's, it's, you feel sorry for people who were left in the situation of slavery, but for them, and these are people too, who are nearly white and Eston, a couple of them, three of the children eventually leave 
the African-American community to live as white people. So Elizabeth and, was mixed race, wasn't she? Yes, yes. And then Her, Sally in turn was mixed race as well. Mm-hmm. So she's what they would have called a quadroon. We don't use those terms anymore, mm. but she's a quarter black. And um, so three of her children live as white people. And two of them, the two eldest who go off immediately to live as white people, we don't know anything about their descendants because they evidently changed their names. They married white people. We do know they married white people. And they blended into society and left slavery and Monticello and all of the second class status of, of or third, fourth class status of, yeah. of um, black people behind. So this is, it's a very, very poignant and complicated situation. And we, mm-hmm. as we try to sit back and think, well, what, you know, what should she do? I've, I've had people say to me, well, you know, she should have you know, found a, a partner, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Stephanie Francis found a partner of her own race in a way, another mixed race per- person. Uh, well, yeah, but we don't know, again, you know what options are open to people at the time and our categories are not their categories. No, and, and their relationship. I mean, at one point, she may not be the acknowledged companion of him, but he's a president of the United States while this relationship is going on, a two-term president, isn't he? Um, Absolutely. So telling her that she should just pack the kids up and go and find someone, her own yeah. color seems to be immensely dense. I don't know if it's just yeah. me, but it's <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> No, it's not, yeah. No, and that's, that's the thing. It's at some point when they come back, they come back for, to, from France in 1789, and they're there in the 1790s, and his political career takes off. He becomes president. And then this situation is revealed. And one of the reasons people did not believe the story was true, historians later on, is because he has two more children with her after this is over. I mean, after, after this story breaks, I should say. Yeah. And people said, well, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't do that. You know, that would be really dumb to, <laughs> to, to have two more kids with this person after you have been revealed. And so therefore this is not true. Now that's obviously not a, not a, it's a non sequitur, but mm. you, by the time this story is revealed, they would have been living together for 12 years. And if they've already had five children who are yeah. one, eight. Exactly. Black. And mm-hmm. um, what's two more in a world where there's what's no, two more? DNA, no we... cameras, no mass media, no Twitter. And I don't think Jefferson, uh, uh, Monticello, Jefferson, Monticello was Jefferson's home. <laughs> it was his kingdom. And I can't, I, that argument never struck me because from everything that I knew about reading about him and studying him, nobody on the outside was going to tell him mm-hmm. how he lived in Monticello. So and I think it, say, oh, I guess I'm not going to have any more. Sally, you and I, we're done because can't. People, people are, are watching. <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah. I mean, it's an estate. It's not like someone's looking over your garden fence, is it? It's, and yeah. I mean, if you live in that local area, are you going to want to piss off Thomas Jefferson? No, but just you keep yeah. your mouth shut, wouldn't you? And it's like yeah. you say. It's... But they did, actually, they did. They talked about them, but mm-hmm. I don't think he cared. I mean, you know, it was like, this was not, I mean, from his perspective, again, just from everything, the way he talks about privacy, the way he talks about, not just, not in this context, but just in general, 
his personal life was separate from his life as a public man. We don't believe, we don't see that now. No, people just can't tally their heads with that, can they? No, no. He says, look, you know, at one point someone asks him who wants to do a biography of him. He asks in the name of his grandchildren and he basically says, why do you need to know the names of my grandchildren? (laughs) It has nothing to do with my life as a public man. And that he saw those two things as separate. It's probably just about before the advent of the like mass press and like cheap literature that you could get away with that to an extent, wasn't it? It's just about the end of it before really you had no hope of remaining private outside of when you were doing your work. But um, let's just round off with what becomes of Sally. Okay. So she outlives him by a long way, doesn't she? Because obviously, there not a no long way, gap. just about a, about about not a long way, about eleven years. Oh, really? I thought no. it was longer than that. No, but no. she moves in with one of her children, doesn't she, in Charlottesville? Yes. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. After Jefferson dies, she moves into Charlottesville with her two youngest sons who were freed in Jefferson's will. And in the 1830 census, she is listed as a free white woman um, in Charlottesville. They do another census in 1833, a special census, because they're after the Nat Turner Rebellion. They're going around asking free black people if they want to go back to Africa. And they come to her because they're trying to get rid of free blacks. Mm. Um, And they go and ask if she wants to go back to Africa. And according to the document (laughs) there, she says no. Can you imagine? Just someone knocking on your door and going, hey, you've never been there. And you're... (laughs) You're like remotely African, um, you, but would you want to go and live there? Want to get there? I mean, she might as well go back to Lancaster, which is where her father was from. Yeah, um, and she's listed there as a free Negro. So it sort of shows you the kind of uh, racial, the sort of blurry lines on racial mm. categories. So she's there and dies in 1835. Uh, we believe 1835. That's one date that's given. But there's a European traveler who has a, wrote a travelogue about being in America, and he visits Charlottesville. And he claims to have seen her. He describes her, at, you know, he's talking about the connection to Jefferson and said she was old, but still very beautiful is the way, is the description. So it may have been 
1835 or 1837 is uh, the, the last possible, the two dates that we have for possibly, that she was alive at least until 1837, and we don't, we don't know that for certain. Um, but he died in 1826, didn't he? And mm-hmm. his death yes. was pretty catastrophic for most of the slaves at Monticello. Yes, catastrophic. He died deeply in debt, and the enslaved people were sold to pay the debts. Eventually, they lost Monticello a couple of years later. So it all came crashing down after he died because you know, in the, he was able to get credit as so long as he was alive. Yeah. Uh, but once he dies, all of those things got called in and only a handful of people actually managed to, um, to avoid being on the auction block. Most of them, the only, the only thing that we're sort of, not, that's not a good thing, but yeah. the only mitigating thing is that most of the people were sold to people in the area. I'm, I, I, it's, it appears, uh, but still, I mean, you think of people having their lives disrupted, separated from families, even if it's, you know, not down to Louisiana or anything like that. It's, it's a, it was a catastrophic event. They suffered very, it's very often that historians in the past used to talk about the strain that this was on Jefferson and his white family, but it was really uh, the people who were held as property who suffered the most. Yeah, I mean, there's like family units being split, aren't there, and things that uh, he understood, uh, he apparently tried hard to let them live in family units, didn't he? And or or so much as they weren't separated and torn apart under. Uh, at Monticello. Well, Monticello was a pretty stable place. Yeah. Uh, it's the same people in the same configurations for about 50 years. I mean, with not much change, but that all falls apart once he, once he dies. It was also not typical either, which was also, oh, really? well, was also, I should say, t- completely typical. It was not atypical yeah. because anytime a, a person dies, obviously property has to be divided up, either creditors take their share or siblings um, take their share. So that's always, uh, was always a, a moment, a, a fraught moment mm. for enslaved people upon the death of any person who claimed ownership over them. Yeah, just I can imagine it's like that sudden uncertainty about whether you're still going to be living with your loved ones um, some Wait. way down the line. Mm-hmm. Later on, yes. I mean, the, the most wrenching you look at the, the narratives of enslaved people, it's clear that it wasn't the whip that was the most painful thing to them. It was the separation, uh, never seeing your mother again. And after the end of the Civil War, you saw there in the newspapers, there were ads and so forth that they, people would take out saying, have you seen my, my daughter or this person? They kept trying to reconnect to one another however they could. And it's, it's been a big in the United States, family reunions are really big among yeah. African Americans, and it is probably because of the legacy of the kind of separation and the mm-hmm. idea of everybody coming together again um, every year or every other year to to be family is something that's quite important. I just the book is fantastic. Congratulations on it, um, and I'm so because ex- you finished just after. Um, Jefferson's death don't you so I'm excited that you're following the family further on now because there's like civil war service and uh, just you you're going on with the Hemings family aren't you yes I am 
yeah. That's and what I'm trying to do this summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just bring me an archive, please. I just give anything to be sniffing some dirty old book somewhere right now. And I know, but there'll be a while <laughs> before that for us, I think. Absolutely. Uh, they've all been really good over here, though, with over to, like the National Archives is just letting you digitally take things for free if it's been scanned. So usually they mm-hmm. charge for that remotely. But in the mid-90s, you wrote, and um, the first book you wrote on this was Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings, An American Controversy. Now, at this point, pre-DNA evidence, for 150 years, Jefferson's scholars had adamantly sought to, well, to like defend him, in inverted commas, from the insinuation that he had had this sexual relationship with one of his slaves and fathered her children. But why do you think it was such an offensive idea and why did it matter whether people knew the truth about this? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I think it mattered because Jefferson is a founding father and the whole notion of him having children with a person who was not 100% white, a person who was of lower status, the lowest status, and that he would involve himself for that length of time. Do you know, I think if, if there had been a story about one kid. <laughs> one drunken <laughs> have, night somewhere. Yeah, and, it might have yeah. been different. Actually, his principal biographer, Duma Malone, said that in 1981, 82, and he gave an interview for the New York Times. And he says, even after denying it all these years, he said, well, I could see him having sex with her one or two times. But what I can't accept is 38 years and what thank you for that sweeping judgment of something for which you were not present (laughs) yeah but yeah but the thing is you know one or two times could be one or two kids right i mean it doesn't take a lot to 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 get pregnant (laughs) uh a young woman pregnant and this the fact that he could say it wouldn't that that would be possible but the thing that bothered him was the idea that he would carry on like this for 30 for a long time a long period of time so i think it was it sounds it like that man thing where but well i only cheated once so it doesn't count we're all women go uh no <laughs> no wrong on the facts wrong on the law um yeah. yeah it's i think it was it changed the image of a founding father and it changed the image of america because it, it says that america is not a white country i mean that from the very beginning there were these entanglements that you have to pay attention to to these pe- to to enslave people. When when the DNA reports came back, one I was I fielded you know uh, interviews, questions from all over the world, and one this is actually an American person said to me, "I never thought of Jefferson as a slaveholder until now," and I thought, hmm. <laughs> that's interesting i just like that's airbrushed that bit out of my mind yeah but but it's it's thinking about the idea of a person you know body to body contact dealing with someone in that way uh before you could you could put enslaved people off somewhere those are the people who are down off in the fields we don't have to pay any attention to them these this was a person who had children who were sort of running around his house and you yeah. have to think about this while he was that, president. Yeah, and, and you have to think about this in a way um, that people had not before. So I think that was part of the, the reason for it. Why I thought it was important was not because I wanted to prove that they had kids together. What was important to me was the sort of double standard for looking at the evidence. I was concerned about the process that somehow the people who were enslaved 
were treated as if they were the suspect people and they were the untrustworthy people and people who held other people in bondage were above reproach. So I had bodies of evidence on from the side that saying he didn't do it, quoting members of his family, evidence that was riddled with falsehoods and things that they had to have known were not true. And yet they were presented as if they were authoritative. The, on the other side, the testimony, I could use the word of enslaved people, was treated as presumptively untrustworthy. And I thought that that's, yeah, Yeah. I thought, you know, this is more important than just Tom and Sally. This is, how do you write about history? How do you talk about black people today? You have to apply the same rules to everybody if you're a historian, don't you? You can't. Exactly. And I think, I thought it's, yeah, and I thought it spilled over into the way African-Americans have been treated throughout history. The notion that our words, you know, even if people believe us, they can't say they believe us because it would violate a, you know, some sort of not understanding, but some of value. You're talking ill of him. Yeah, 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 exactly. So that's really what I I wanted to try to to address is how do you how do you decide who is trustworthy and who should be believed in this situation? And it's sort of a reverse of what you typically think. You typically pay attention to victims, right? You don't say except I suppose rape victims, maybe you're not that that's one category of, of people who are, who are very often not believed at the very yeah. beginning. And we've we're sort of trying to come out of that, but it's about weighing evidence is what I, what I really wanted to get at. Mm. I mean, so DNA testing did prove a link and this was all going on. So uh, for people over here, it was like just as they were doing all that testing on the Russian Imperial family at the foot of that mine shaft in Siberia. So basically as soon as it was possible, they were doing the DNA testing on surviving um, through Jefferson's children with his wife and through some of Sally Hemmings children, weren't they? And they, there is a match. Um, so why are some people still saying that, I mean, you said that the consensus now mm-hmm. is that everybody believes it, but why is there some people still not? Well, because they don't like this, they don't like the idea. I mean, what they're saying is they've sort of pulled up other possible candidates, people who have never been mentioned before, and which I predicted that this was going to happen, um, that they would try to find somebody else. People just don't and don't really want to believe that he was involved in this situation. And so, oh, are they trying to find another Jefferson that could have been oh, responsible yes, yes, yes. for that DNA? Oh, yes, they're trying oh. to find, yeah, that's the idea, is to find. But the problem is the people that they keep coming up with, they come up with different people, um, don't, there's no documentary evidence. I mean, you know, there's no, it's not even a historical question because there's nothing from the contemporary time that suggests that this is true. We can't link, they never offer any evidence of any kind of link to, you know, to, to people, other people other than Sally Hemings. I mean, one of the things I talk about in my book is that Jefferson is at Monticello and away from Monticello, I should say quite a bit during the time that Sally Hemings is having her children. And every time, every time she conceives a child, he has just come home. Mm. And the people that they're saying are the fathers live in the area. So it's as if they cannot get her pregnant unless Jefferson comes home. 
I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, it's like the equivalent in my military history world of the crazies that think Hitler didn't die in the bunker. Yes. Like, but you will just grab anything and just say, like, to try and cling to a fallacy. Yes, and he, he, he will be 130 years old, you know, and yeah. he's still living yeah, He's still in Buenos Aires somewhere. In Buenos Aires someplace. Yeah. And it's like, no, no. Um, <laughs> because I do, I think people like mysteries, too. Yeah. You don't, people don't want a mystery solved. There was a famous case in Charlottesville, not Charlottesville, it seems to be the place for this, um, Anastasia, a woman who claims yes. to be the long lost daughter of you know, the czars. And uh, I don't think, maybe there are probably still people who don't accept that they found them, they eventually found them. And, uh, well, no, it's because there may be a t there's nothing there for the boy, and there's a, a spare tooth. But I think it's Marie. Is there nothing there of the third yeah. daughter, or not enough? Uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, you say, yeah. just like got to cling on to a bit of the mystery. Um, mm -hmm. What we've got, uh, so just categorically, the Thomas Jefferson Foundation has said they, as far as they are concerned, it is settled, and he was the father of yeah. her own children. Yeah. And yeah, they did they an exhibit on her, didn't they, at Monticello? Yeah. It's still there. It's, she's, it's, there's a tour. There's a Hemings family tour now. And uh, it's a regular part of the, of the presentation. And they have come to grips with this and moved on to other things. So you've got a similar thing happening with Jefferson statues. And I have to ask you this because I've just dealt with a, a wealth of crazies with my surname um, about Winston Churchill in the last couple of weeks because that was the <laughs> statues here. So now I think it's New York. Um, I don't know if anywhere else has now, I haven't been following it, has decided that they're going to evaluate. I think Jefferson is one of the statues. Um, that when he wrote that men had a right to liberty in 1776, he owned more than 100 slaves. And that is the only thing people are going to use on their tagline is it as an argument so as someone who has written extensively on the man how should americans rectify this in the present day and as an african-american woman do you agree with the statue bashing as we've termed it on history hack the statue or, bashing, yeah. statue yeah. bashing. <laughs> uh, you know i've i i've said this publicly and i've written about this i think that the founders are separate from the confederates I think every I don't I don't think that they should be put into the same category as Confederate statues, and it depends on where they are. You know, it, if their people, if members of the community don't want a particular statue in a particular place, that you know that's okay. But I don't think that as a matter of course they should be taken down um, mm -hmm. because, and the contributions are too great, too much a part, integral part of American history to pretend that he wasn't important. And what you do is what has been, what people are doing now is to talk fully about the entire legacy, not just the good things, yeah. but the things that are not good. It's all um, about context, isn't it? Which is what all of this screeching lacks, I think on both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, you, you have, I think right now people are, in a, in a, you know, excited about the possibility of change about some things that are really important, whether yep. it's, poli you know, reforming police um, activity, whatever, those kinds of things, equity in other places, inequality, people are concerned about this. And this is sort of a symbol of that in a way, mm -hmm. uh, a way where people think that they can have something concrete done, but the thing that's done is not really transformative. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that, as I said, the Confederates, that never made any sense to us. I mean, to me, to, you know, for us to put up statues to someone who lost the war. 
that, mm -hmm. you know, who tried to destroy the United States. Um, that was clearly about white supremacy and the South shall rise again and that mm -hmm. kind of lost cause stuff. The founders are different. We just have to grapple with our troublesome founders. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And the fact these that, that these men weren't perfect, they didn't think they were perfect and we shouldn't be judging them on the scale of whether or not they were perfect. They did amazing things and they did things that we now see as abhorrent or not of, of like a morality that is dubious and I don't think that means we don't think on history how that that means you have to go around pulling their statues down it just means you need to educate people better like you say tell them the whole story yeah and and, and particularly if it's a person who has contributed a lot some of these people who are up you can't kind of figure out why are they there you know they're not in the same category as a George Washington uh, for which we don't have a country if if he wasn't if he didn't do what he did i mean he mm -hmm. was able to command the respect of 13 colonies and have them come together he was the glue that that held them part of the glue that held them together and you you know you can't pretend that he wasn't that he didn't do something good something momentous and the fact that you have a statue up doesn't mean that you agree with every single thing that he 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 said or the way he lived his life and it but it does mean that we have to talk about the really complicated origins of this country. Mm -hmm. Slavery, um, Indian removal, those kinds of things have to be on the table. And, and I know that there will be people who want to just honor them and say, you know, we don't talk about those things, but this is an opportunity to do that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on to talk to us all about Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings um, and the st their story and the wider context of it. It's been brilliant. Oh, thanks a lot. I've had a good time. Oh, thanks very much. Join us tomorrow when our African American History Week continues with Tim Madigan. Uh, Tim's a journalist, but he also wrote a book called The Burning, which is about the Tulsa massacre in 1921. If you've seen the film The Watchman, the opening scenes are based on his book. Uh, this is an event that I vaguely knew in my head had happened, but I had absolutely no idea just how shocking it was until he sat down with us and talked us through what actually happened in the city at that time make sure you don't miss it because I think if you want to understand what is happening in America today you need to understand events like this. Don't forget you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to www.historyhack.podbean.com It will help us keep going in the aftermath of the coronavirus and we would really appreciate it as we would love to do so. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 